0: Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor in play betting. Watch the action, predict the action, and make your best bet with the latest odds on over 1,000 daily events. 18 plus, be NFL
1: Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday
0: Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbouyamba. And you're listening to the Blue Day podcast. Enjoy. Fellow Chelsea supporters, welcome back to the Blue Day Podcast, where we have a special guest that has joined us again. He is here to talk about his latest Chelsea book called "The Boss," and plus, we're going to be talking about certain managers that have graced Stamford Bridge. Here, here is Harry Harris. Harry, welcome back to the Blue Day Podcast for the third time. How are we? Oh, my hat trick is up!
1: Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> time, lucky. Well done. <laughs>
0: Did you have a nice Easter? Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, great time with the family, uh, lots of Easter eggs and uh, a bit of work to do, so uh, cracking on, really.
0: (laughs) Superb. Well, let's let's crack on with this particular episode, because I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on, because there was a few books that I've read over the past few weeks, of yours, of course, that... For listeners that want to get get, get their books, you can find them on Amazon. There is a few floating around on eBay at the moment that are in sort of decent nick. They might be a bit pricey, but then again, they are worth a read. So one person in, in particular, Harry, that I want to talk about is somebody who has divided opinion since his time at Chelsea on both occasions. And that is one Jose Mourinho. Is that all right? Yeah, fine. I'm, Super. i
1: four books on him, so I
0: might, <laughs> might need to write, write another one. <laughs> well, I think you might. Well, it, whether it'll be a case of um, doing one on his tenure at Tottenham after he either gets a sack within the next six or 12 months, we don't know. Maybe I don't think
1: many Spurs fans will buy if he gets the sack, but uh, we'll we'll
0: have to wait and see. Well, we, we shall see. But I want to sort of start off by discussing about Jose Mourinho because whether Chelsea fans like it or not, he is Chelsea's greatest ever manager. Three Premier League titles, two League Cups, one FA Cup, and a Community Shield to boot. Harry, just to start off with, where do you rank Jose Mourinho? in the all-time list of football managers?
1: Well, he'd certainly be somewhere in that top five, I would say, whether he'd be number one. Um, He he would have been if he'd retired a few years ago, perhaps. Um, But uh, uh, I think... At positions reserved for Alex Ferguson Or Sir Alex, I would think uh, For his longevity and the 28 trophies that he won But, you know, Mourinho uh, would be up there You know, with the likes of Brian Clough And Jock Steen and Bill Nicholson Um, You'd have to say that um, Bob Paisley, of course, you know And uh, Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool Uh, Even Jurgen Klopp So there's quite a few contenders Pep Guardiola There's a good list of the top 10 best all-time managers now Um, But for me, Mourinho, uh, like Brian Clough, was a bit of a maverick, um, a bit of an entertainer, a bit of a character as well. Um, And certainly when he first arrived at Chelsea, someone you you could gravitate to and was an endearing character in many ways. Um, But his legacy at Stamford Bridge is everlasting. You know, uh, even you've you've been telling me about this latest book you've been reading called The Boss, Um, Uh, history of Chelsea managers, but we did a series of the boss. I did a history of Liverpool managers, I did a history of Spurs managers. Yes. And the ironical thing is, but because Mourinho's image is on the boss uh, of the Spurs history of managers, there's just as many Chelsea fans that buy that book, and it's a Spurs book. Now, I find that absolutely incredible, and that's his endearing legacy. As well as his um, triumphs
0: as a legacy, but um, Chelsea fans, uh, I would say the majority of them still love him. Well, I'm one of them, and oh, I. There you go. And well, <laughs> there you go. I'm not. I'm I'm not shy to say it because when he first burst onto the scene, I was I was a teenager at school, and I was sort of just in all of the guy, because I just thought he's untouchable. He was uh, at that time I was doing um, GCSE PE. So when he came in, he, he seemed like this coach that had these brand new ideas on how to structure a team and how to get a team into a winning mentality. So since that time, I was always a fan of his and I was gutted when he left the first time round. I thought the club obviously, you yeah, know, there was talked about being a mutual consent, but everyone knows now it was a case of the club couldn't put up with his you know, antics or methods anymore. And then when he came back, I remember the day he came back to Chelsea when we reappointed him. I was working at a school and I got a text from a friend of mine saying he was... Jose's coming back. And I just had this smile on my face. And when I was coaching the kids at the school uh, down in Charlton, they were all asking me, oh, why are you so happy? Why? I said, the King's back. That's how I described him, was the King's back at the bridge. It was, you know, that's how I saw him. And I went to as many Chelsea games as I could that season because I just thought, right, this is a guy who left The first time round, he went to Inter Milan to prove a point. He proved that point. He went to Real Madrid. Obviously, he had an interesting spell there. You know, some people might say it was a success. Other people say it was a failure. But he's back at Chelsea. And I, whether or not it was a crazy thing at the time, I did think that he was going to be there for five to ten years. I just had this vision of him saying, right, he's going to settle down. Chelsea would want stability, and I would like to talk of go through that particular word stability because that that word and Chelsea doesn't fit really at the moment. If we discuss about this book, the boss, that certainly is not the case. But I just had this vision of Jose being there for the next five, ten years. Obviously, it didn't work out. He was only there for you know two seasons. But even when he went to United, I was a bit annoyed, but I understood because he wanted the United job when Sir Alex Ferguson left. And it was massively sort of and It was massively in the media that when Alex Ferguson left, Jose wanted that job. And Jose was a little bit disappointed that he didn't get it when David Moyes did. So he obviously went to United, but all the times that he's gone back to the bridge, whether it was United or Spurs, I've never booed him. Fans around me have, and have called him every name under the sun, but, With me, I see him as what he did for the club. I see that as a little bit of loyalty. Yes, Jose obviously gets a little bit annoyed at times when Chelsea fans boo him. And I think it's still to this day, I I don't understand why that that is the case. But no, from a Chelsea, from one minority Chelsea fans perspective, uh, there's no way I I would ever boo him if he returns to the bridge. Even if he went to become Arsenal manager, I still wouldn't boo him.
1: Hmm. Even Arsenal manager, wow.
0: <laughs> well, you never know. It, 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 could, it, it, it could happen.
1: I doubt it very much. <laughs> uh, I think, I think he's, really, um, he's really reached the end of his tenure uh, in, in top clubs with Spurs, uh, if he fails there, unfortunately. I think um, uh, it really is a, a very evenly balanced situation he's got there at the moment. It could go either way. Uh, The odds would favour him and go the wrong way. And I can't believe another top club in English football would hire
0: him. Do you think it's make or break for him at the top level, if that's the case? Because after Tottenham, where could he go?
1: Well, there's numerous places he could go. Um, um, He could go to America. He could go to uh, Far East, Middle East, Mm. uh, China. Um, I mean, there'd be no uh, shortage of uh, huge offers around the world for him. Um, But in in the powerhouses of um, European football, uh, uh, Italy, Germany, France and England, Spain, uh, I I think he's done his rounds now. um, And I can't really see a a really top club, um, whether... um, I can't. I, I can't really see that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, he's now pushing it at Spurs, isn't he? With with, with the um, uh, the ten away top club, uh, they, they could be the top club. They were once, very briefly. Um, and um, you know, they've certainly got the greatest stadium in Europe uh, at present, if not the world. Um, so the infrastructure's there to be called a great club. But you know, he's he's, he's uh, made the comparison already, hasn't he? He said, uh, I'm the same manager, but I had had different players when I was hugely successful. Um, And it's that ambition um, to jointly have a great stadium. And Arsenal suffered this for many years once they moved, that the investment in the team wasn't as significant. So that's the issue he has at Spurs. Um, But, you know, Mourinho wants world-class players wherever he goes. And and that costs premium price. and, And, Prices have escalated. So um, to find the right fit for him after Spurs in England, where, where would you suggest? I can't see it. You know, he can't go back to Chelsea for a third year term, can he? Um, so um, I, I think there'd be plenty of opportunities for him if you're, if you're talking about the level of, of earnings. But he was out the game for almost a year before he got the Tottenham job. Um,
0: so I can't see him being in a top club in Europe now. You mentioned... With Jose, he you know, every time he goes to a club, he spends a lot of money. You know, Whether it was at Inter, even at Real Madrid, he, he he had a great team when he inherited, but he still wanted to improve the team. And I remember when he turned up at Chelsea in 2004, obviously Ranieri got sacked, but he's Ranieri spent a lot of money on players. And Jose did the same by bringing in the likes of Carvalho, Ferreira. But players... The one thing that sort of got me, and it was again, reading various books and going back through history, he didn't spend a lot of money the first two seasons on world-class established players. Sort of looking back, do you think that that was Jose's mantra to not buy world-class players? Because obviously now that's completely changed. When he was at Man United, he brought in Pogba or Ibrahimovic. When he was at Tottenham, he's... Brought, say, for example, Bale back. But at Chelsea, the first two years, he didn't bring, he didn't buy world class established players like, you know, to two dames on the top of my head, Clarence Seedorf or Edgar David, sort of a, you know, them sort of type players. Do you think it was a case of Jose still trying to sort of blend in players that he might have known or players that he can mould into a world class team with the likes of Terry and Lampard? Yeah, I think I think you're looking
1: at a completely different era where there, there were some up and coming world class players, and they and they were reasonably priced. Um, now anything that moves uh, has a premium price. If you're if you're, if you're looking at a club owned by Abramovic or, or Man United or Man City, you know they all come kind of at premium prices. Now it's it's much harder to acquire those type of players, particularly with their, their level of salaries. Um, you know these super agents and the, and the commissions they're asking, is, it's a different era. And I think um, uh, managers like Mourinho suffer as a consequence of that because they do need players of, of such a high calibre. Whereas um, the new kind of managers that are coming through, uh, like Guardi- uh, Pep Guardiola, but even more so Jürgen Klopp, um, they do improve players hugely improved them. Um, I'm not saying that Mourinho didn't, certainly early days he did. Uh, And very much you can liken Mourinho's early days to what Klopp has been doing at Liverpool. So um, I think that's where even Klopp suffered, you know, having won the title for the first time in 30 years, following on from the Champions League. They needed really big investment and um, opted against it. And uh, that was a huge mistake, and they're paying the consequence, and we'll have to address it this summer. So, um, you know, there's no getting away from the fact you need class players at the highest level, and the more the merrier. Uh, otherwise, you just can't compete. Mm.
0: Jose obviously did change the mindset of individuals in the squad, but also, you know, the whole squad itself. You know, the likes of William Gallas and Ida Johnson have come out over the years and gave interviews whereby Jose just changed the whole mindset of the team saying, you are winners. I am coaching a world-class team. How crucial was it for Jose and for Chelsea to win that title in 04 and 05? Because if it didn't, what, in your opinion, as again, you've seen football for decades, what would, do you think the ramifications would have been for Jose had he not won the league that first season?
1: Um, I, I think they'd have given him more money in won it the following season. I think they were convinced they'd got the right coach, the world, the world's best coach at the time, and they had. And um, but you know he didn't need to rewrite history. He he, he, he delivered, and he often does deliver at the start. Uh, it's just he, he always has a, a third season syndrome, even a second season syndrome more lately. But um, it's this uh, idea of that you might have had uh, a utopian idea that it might come for five or ten years back to Chelsea. Um, it's more likely ten months at Chelsea yes. you now. Uh, Talk about the boss book. You've got you've got the update with the new boss in it. Um, I'm tempted to have kept more more pages empty at the back for the next one. Uh, and after, <laughs> after losing five two to West Brom, I actually tweeted. You know, we're, we're, we're preparing a new update with a new coach.
0: That um, was a, that was the. But well, enough, I was going obviously when I was going through the research after that result on Saturday, which I don't wish to mention. I did actually think, yeah, I can just see Harry sort of having a little bit of extra for the next manager next season because, you know, truth be told, I can't see Thomas Tuchel lasting eighteen months. Certainly not, in my opinion. But one sort of we talked about sort of transfers with Chelsea. One player that eventually came to Chelsea but maybe took a year to come in was Ashley Cole. Now there was a lot of stories going about, you know, 2006, 2007 about Chelsea tapping up Ashley Cole. There was issues between Arsenal and Chelsea about it illegally trying to get the player to, to join the club. There was the infamous meeting that was caught by photographers of Cole meeting Peter Kenyon at the time and Jose Mourinho what was your memories of this particular occasion and what were your thoughts on it at at that time? Because although I can imagine clubs meeting players was quite normal, nothing to this extent in regards to how it was quite in the media pretty much 24-7.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I actually smiled on myself when, when that occurred because, you know one of the greatest rules of life is not to get caught isn't it? you, know, you do a awful lot of things but don't get caught. you know you know tapping up with players uh, over the generations I mean it's laughable how often that's happened so, but um, you, you just don't get caught doing it you know to go it was pretty naive to turn up at a hotel you know not, not expect someone to have spotted it and, and as they did and in this day and age now smartphones and cameras, Really, that, that, was, I mean, that was just bizarre. Because, you know, I'm, I'm writing another book this year and I'm talking about a manager. And I've I been, mean, funny enough, talking to a player this morning who t- told me how the manager, you know, openly tapped him up, you know, rang him up twice. One time, both times actually didn't sign him. But twice this player was tapped up by this particular manager. And they just ring him up. In, in, in that day, I mean, no one taps up. Managers don't tap up players, you know, there's no need. There's so many agents, so you know, prominent and active. Um, so as the influence of agents grew, there was less need for the manager to do the tapping up. But journalists would do the tapping up, People, you know, managers would come on to me and say, Well, would I, would I have a word with the player? I can't, I don't want really to do it, I don't really get caught. But to t- all to turn up together, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was quite bizarre. Really. Denied. Why
0: do you think Chelsea denied it for so long because at, at first Chelsea put out a statement saying that you know this we wasn't discussing about Ashley Cole coming to chelsea we or we are declining to comment We you know there's there's nothing to look into there's nothing to see here, and then obviously eventually, as soon as Cole arrives at Chelsea, it's like well yeah we we did sort of speak to him. Why? Why do you think Chelsea denied it for so long? Because it just made them more look more like fools.
1: Well, because they they, they had hoped it would just go away, and they just hoped that um, you know, well, we, we were just talking about a new range of clothing for him. You know, I, I, who knows what they, they thought in their minds they could get away with? Because in football, they've got away with so much for so long. It's just incredible what was gone on behind the scenes. Um, fortunately, you're not asking me about that because i need an army of lawyers
0: with me. <laughs> <laughs> that might be for another interview, possibly, <laughs> potentially. Might be for another one. Um, just back to Jose, uh, his first sort of time at Chelsea. Looking sort of back on certain games that he was part of, he did antagonise a lot of other coaches and managers. Do you believe for Jose it was? An ego thing that he wanted to be number one, or was you? Was it a case of Jose playing mind games with that individual to try and make them make the first mistake?
1: Well, I'm just amazed that you believe Mourinho's got an ego. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't believe it. Uh, no, no, I think um, you, you know you. You hear this phrase turned out by pundits all the time, you know. It's a bit of both when they don't really know the answer, do they? So it's I'm going to sit on the fence and go for a bit of both.
0: (laughs) That is probably more the uh, correct answer because Jose, yes, he has got an ego, but based on his CV and his history, he's got that to back him up. And yeah, you know, mind games, he's not the only manager to have done it. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson has done it throughout his career when he was not influencing referees as such but he would criticise a referee and then lo and behold maybe one week, two weeks after a decision would be going against going for him, excuse me, and then people would say, well that's Sir Alex Ferguson's mind games, it's that sort of tale of a manager of what his responsibilities would be and trying to support his team any which way he can Yeah, I mean
1: um, these these guys are hugely successful it's basically, we're not win and win at all costs and it's how you define at all costs so does that include tapping up players to get the best players does that include trying to influence referees does that include trying to wind up other managers does that include um, all sorts of things winding up your own players you know uh, you see a variety of um, uh, after match interviews these days and it's hard to tell whether they're Really trying to praise their players, wind their players up, criticise their players, throw them under a bus? Or mm. What are they saying? What are they, what are they trying to do? I mean, um, is it a touch of overanalyzing everything anyone says? Um, you know, broadly speaking, the managers that we're talking about are obsessive with winning and they will do anything at all costs to win.
0: So, 2006, Chelsea win the league back-to-back. There was a infamous game. They beat Manchester United 3-0. It was a game where Wayne Rooney broke his metatarsal and there was obviously huge doubts because it was the World Cup that year as well. We win 3-0. Everything seems rosy. Sunny day at Stamford Bridge when Chelsea lift the Premier League. But then, in the summer, things change quite a bit and there's a lot of... Media speculation about Jose's future. Harry, when did you sort of first hear about the wheels slightly coming off the train a little bit with Jose and Chelsea because of, as you say, Jose with his ego and Chelsea with their vision of going forward?
1: Well, I think it's none of that really. I just think that, um, I, I, I think you have an owner that does it his way. And there is no other way. Uh, and I think he likes to be close to the players. He likes to be close to the manager. He likes to be close to um, uh, where where the money is spent. He enjoys the, the, the chase. He enjoys the uh, recruitment aspect of it all. Uh, and, and, and he he has that we not all cost mentality as much as any of the managers he hires. Um and we all used to turn our nose up at it, it managers being sacked every five minutes in Spain or Italy um, 30 years ago. Um, well, actually, that, should, that shouldn't happen, wouldn't happen here. But, of course, you know, you now got a, a deluge of foreign, coach, uh, foreign owners, um, foreign coaches, you know, that uh, experience all these type of things. And, you know, it, it's, it's a gun for hire, you know, the next best thing or someone else, that's it. But let's try him because he's very successful there and he could do something different. Um, and do they actually have a lifespan of their own? Do they really reach a point where the players have heard it all before and, and, and have had enough of that and want to try something different? Because it, it, it's amazing, you know, that um, we've had it in the last few weeks at Chelsea, how wonderful Frank Lampard was. And he hasn't, he's hardly sort of like driven out the Back door, then the next guy is even more wonderful. Uh, but that that's, happens everywhere, doesn't it? You know, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, um, and then one defeat, I mean, he's had a dozen odd games or more, isn't he? Uh, with, with, with almost an unblemished record and one horrendous defeat, and we're already laughing about when he's going to go. Um, but that's the. Um, That's what you've got at Chelsea. So there is no other way. And you can't really sneer at it because look at the huge success that Bramovich has brought to
0: the club. Yeah. Harry, just this, this particular question, I'd love to ask a certain Jose Mourinho this question. So because I haven't got him on here and I have you, I would like to ask you this question based on your experience as a journalist and again, seeing football from all sides. Two players that signed in the summer of 2006 that certain Chelsea fans may remember, in Michael Ballack and Andre Shevchenko. Just sort of, if you can, clear up sort of the rumours for me and for our listeners. Were they, in your opinion, club signings or were they Jose signings?
1: They were the owners' signings. They were. Simple
0: as that. Because
1: I mean, the, the way—and it's not just at Chelsea—the way these things operate now, pretty commonplace. That there's usually a recruitment committee, which is the the owner, chairman, um, the chief scout, and the manager. And the manager leads the recruitment. He, he says, oh, "We really do need a new centre forward, or a right winger, or, or, or a holding midfield player, or a fullback." Um, and if you're asking my opinion these are the ones I'd want you know I I would like Harry Kane and I'd like um, um, Messi Uh, and um, you know that's who I want and then they go well we can't get him because the clubs won't won't sell him and um, even if they did we'd have to pay astronomical amounts and um, so, who do we want after that? So, here's my list and you go down it, and Shevchenko could have been on that list, probably was, Balak was, but they wouldn't, in my view, not high up on their list, but when the owner looks at those players, and you can't get the ones that the manager really wants, then he's brought in the next best thing, and at the time, you could hardly call these players the next best thing, I was captain of Germany, an exceptionally gifted midfield player who, who would organise teams and run, run run the team for the manager on the pitch. And, and another guy who, who had a, a phenomenal, record-breaking amount of goals in one of the best leagues in Europe and, and in the Champions League. It was hardly sort of like taking a risk. But they weren't the manager's choice. Mm. And that was evident in the way
0: he handled them do you think because of that that was partly start of tension between manager and club because again and it there does seem to be a, a pattern forming when it comes to roman liking a player and he will sign him much to the manager's sort of resistance you know and i look back to someone and again someone in the book that was he's in the Premier League now with Ancelotti and Fernando Torres coming in. There does seem to be a pattern with Chelsea with buying players that Abramovich likes. Again, this is his club. He can do what he wants with it. But if a manager is showing resistance and maybe saying, you know, this is who I need rather than who you want. Of course, there's going to be tension there, surely. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's not unique to Chelsea. I mean, I, I think one of the greatest examples I could give you is uh, our dear old friend, Ruud Gullit, when um, uh, he, was un- he was unceremoniously uh, rejected.
0: That's not him now, is it?
1: No. <laughs> he, he was unceremoniously rejected uh, by Chelsea. I mean, won the FA Cup, the first trophy, 26 years for the club, but still managed to kick him out. Um, and he ends up at Newcastle. Uh, and, you know, he, he's, he's, he's got his ideas on coaching and he wants, he wants his centre forward to run down the channels and to work hard up front and defend from the front and he's got an ageing Alan Shearer and decides he's going to drop him and bring in, um, you know, a young dog you know, uh, uh, Kenny's son, I think he was the time, uh, was the player he chose um, and that either worked or, or he was gone and it, it, they lost because the game he picked was Sunderland. So, you know, um, great choice of game, um, the North Derby puts Alan Shearer on the bench and loses the game and disappeared the next next day. So, you know, there's sometimes you have to pick your battles, but but you, you talked about egos and you talked about um, uh, this desire to be the best and, and these characters have it. So it didn't matter whether it was under Shearer or Shevchenko. Um, two of the greatest goal scorers you could possibly have in your team. Um, but Mourinho dropped him. But after a, um, a dozen games, I don't, I don't think he'd scored more than one goal, if, if any. Um, and looked pretty hopeless. Yet, why was that? Because he, he, they had recruited one of the world's greatest ever goalscorers. Yeah, he just didn't fit in. So, is it always the best player, or is it the team player? I mean, for Jurgen Klopp, it's part of the jigsaw. This is the player I need, rather than he's the best player in that position. So I'm going to buy him, even though I don't really want that him in that position. So um, Balak, Shevchenko, you know, it was a test of strength and willpower, and there was only going to be one winner.
0: I remember it well. Chelsea changed their formation for most of that season. They Want Jose picked and Drogba, put them together. And he had a midfield four of Lampard, Balak, Essien and Makaleli as a sort of a diamond midfield. And that changed the whole sort of, for me, the whole structure of the team because two years before that, we played with flying wingers like Robin and Duff. And then all of a sudden, he's brought in or Jose's been told these two players are coming in. The whole team changes, and then you can see the results, but also the performances are not the same. And I, I remember sort of looking back because I was, you know, quite interested in seeing the demeanour because I was into sports psychology when in my teens. And I remember seeing Jose's body language, and you can tell it wasn't the same as no. two thousand and five, two thousand and six. He was getting more grumpy. He was getting a bit more narked you Know so, so to speak, and so if he's, just... saying
1: to, if he's saying to the owner, I've got my structure, this is successful. I'll, I'll need now because Duff's been hammered by injuries, not quite the same player. Robin has his, his issues as well. So let, let me get some great wingers in to play the way we did. Yeah. Oh no, he has just another centre yeah. forward, but I've got one, yeah. you know. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, to, to change his whole structure to accommodate two massive signings that weren't of his choice was inevitably going to cause the friction that led to what it did lead to.
0: So. And it didn't help because they didn't hit the ground running. Because I remember, you know, uh, there was one game in particular, Balak was getting pounded with abuse from the Chelsea supporters because they felt he wasn't doing enough. But there was that was obviously 2006-2007. It, it, it was actually a good season in all, We although be it, we lost in the Champions League semi-final again. But we won the FA Cup, we won the League Cup. Um, Jose has said on some occasions that I should have left after the FA Cup final against Manchester United. That should have been my last game. I should have left on a high rather than carried on that summer. That summer of 2007, Avram Grant came in. He was at Portsmouth as director of football. He then came to Chelsea. He was a personal friend of Mr. Roman Abramovich. Do you think that had any significance in? the issue between Roman and Jose the first time round, because it just seemed, again, the body language and demeanour that Jose didn't want him, sorry, excuse me, Jose didn't want Avram at the club. He didn't want somebody overlooking what he was doing to then tell Roman what was going on.
1: Exactly. But not only that, you could see that um, the owner had planted someone uh, Institute to take over from him at the drop of a hat. <laughs> you know, it was it it was kind of like a pretty succinct, clear, and untrans- you know, pretty transparent message <laughs> about what was going to happen. But there you go. Know, you got you got to hand it to Abraham Grant, um, who no one had heard of, uh, who came uh, the, the width of a post and a John Terry penalty kick of winning the Champions League. So you know. <laughs> Um as I said right from the beginning, you know, it, it, it is this um, revolving door philosophy that the owner's got, but you, you can't knock it at times.
0: Mm. Well, it was in, it's, it's in your book, The Boss. There's a, a, a bit about Avram Grant and it says, you know, with Grant at the time was getting abused from Chelsea supporters because they felt that he was a Roman Abramovich aide and he was the man sort of, that wanted Jose out and he got him out but Avram he's, it is in the book mentioned I only lost two games he said I didn't lose at home at Stamford bridge I lost the you know the league cup final to tottenham and I lost the champions league final what else do you want you well, know and when I, you I, I win those two games and yes, you that... still be there <laughs> uh, Jose left september uh, 2007 after a draw against Rosenberg in the Champions League, when there was more empty seats than fans there, it looked like when they were showing pictures on it on ITV. Jose was left the day after, of course. At the time, you know, they were saying it's mutual consent. We've parted company. We've mutually agreed to go. It just In essence, Chelsea sacked him, basically,
1: I, I, I think really it's time the football clubs deleted the mutual consent part of their departing statements, because it really is taking the piss, isn't it? As if any fan actually thinks, oh, good God, they came to some mutual agreement. The manager walked into, oh, I think I'll go and sit in my rocking chair for the rest of the season and take it easy. Yeah, yeah, sure he did. So, um, I mean, the only part of that really has any significance is... They've mutually agreed how they're going to pay the bugger off. So um, it's tight, it's you know, it's um, going on the way back to the Ashley Cole thing. You know, why keep on denying something everyone can see happened? Uh, so why are football clubs still churning out this mutual consent, Clark? I do not know. And it's not the only, only thing they do, you know. It's, oh, it's no, of a, course not, no. Um, it, it, there's more nuances and subtleties about what football clubs do that really... Um, look down at the ordinary fan. Uh, and I've said this for, for, for decades, but if football clubs could play in empty stadiums, uh, they, they would quite happily do so because they don't like the fans anyway. And here we are playing in empty stadiums. Mm. Um, and now they're bellyaching about the loss of revenue. The truth is the loss of revenue comes from the corporate sector. Uh, and that's the big loss in revenue. Um, because you know advertisers want to connect to that corporate sector, more so than the ordinary fans, but but the ordinary fans as well. But um, there is a big loss in income now because even the ordinary fan has become a sort of like mini corporate. You know, there's so many bars and restaurants within the complexes of new stadiums. Um, and uh, I don't think football clubs will have the same attitude towards ordinary fans now. Uh, but when they only paid their three and sixpence and, that, and probably had their sandwich outside before they came in, um, They were given very little
0: credence at all. So he's gone, as you say, Grant came in. He was a a whiff of a post away from bringing the European Cup to Chelsea. Obviously, Man United did win it in Moscow. Many millions have been spent on compensation with managers in between 2007 and 2013. When Jose comes back in the summer of 2013, he leaves Real Madrid to rejoin Chelsea. Chelsea at the club, again, in my opinion, was at a crossroads because Benitez was there after um, Di Matteo was sacked. And I think the fans probably would have rioted Stamford Bridge if Benitez stayed there for any longer, to be honest with you. But for me, Chelsea were at a crossroads. They went to look to appoint Jose Mourinho. Do you remember sort of that particular time? Were there any other managers that you would know that Chelsea were looking at maybe thinking if we go for Mourinho, we know what he's like, maybe we shouldn't go there or should we go with the devil we know rather than the devil we don't know?
1: Well, the manager they wanted was Pep Guardiola um, and they um, offered him four times the amount of money he'd got at Barcelona and he was determined to to take that year sabbatical. Um, And I don't think they were looking beyond that, really. That's the guy they wanted. They should have been looking at Klopp. Um, and they weren't. They didn't think. At that point, he was good enough. They wanted, They always want the world's best. You know, they're looking. And, and Mourinho, when he first arrived, was, was looking like the world's best. Um, Klopp has become the world's best. Guardiola is or has been the world's best and can be again. Um, and, and that's what um, Abramovich wants. You can't really knock it. He's looking for the best whether it's the best player um, or the best manager, he wants the best at the football club. Uh, but it's not as easy as that, no matter how much money you throw at it. Uh, and I think he's found that um, tough to understand, particularly in a in, in, uh, commercialised industry such as football. Um, you know, and uh, he, he, he probably finds the whole thing very strange.
0: But, but people have said no to it. Was you shocked that Chelsea appointed Jose for the second time?
1: Um, Totally shocked, and I'll tell you why. Because he'd never done that before. Um, He's never appointed, and that's why I was shocked when he appointed Frank Lampard, he's never trusted English coaches. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, he's, I think... I think he's running out of ideas. He's running out of who to a point. He, he, he missed the boat uh, with Klopp and Guardiola. Um, but, you know, he did try with Guardiola. You can't um, argue with that. He tried very hard. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with some of the top players, you know, he, he, he wanted to re- recruit Aguero. Um, and um, I, I was convinced that he had done. I'm sure he was as well. Um, when he really sorted off somewhere else to Man City. I think that was a big shot for him. But um, I, I think he has a problem at Chelsea because they still are short, I think, um, in, in their team. Um, I, think, I still think they're short of the right coach. Um, and I think they've got some way to go. I think I think Brent Lampard could have grown in the job. But when I spoke to him, he said, you know, um, did I take the job too early? well he said you never know it might never come up again but I think for him it might have done but he really needed to have proven himself I think at other clubs um, bigger clubs Uh, and I think the way uh, Steven Gerrard has proved himself at Glasgow Rangers it's a huge club whether that's sufficient to convince um, the board at Liverpool that he'd be the number one to replace um, Klopp should he go or when his contract expires in 2024, um, I think it is. And I think Frank, did really need to be in a top club rather than at Derby County uh, to gain that experience. So it was a big risk for him, we knew it, but he, he, he loves Chelsea and wanted to take it. Um, uh, I think John Terry has been a bit shocked that, that uh, Frank Lampard got it before him. And he felt that he was taking the right route as an assistant at a big club. He now needs to go to a big club and prove himself if he wants to be in the running. But I think Bramovich got his fingers blown with Frank. And I don't think he'll appoint another English coach.
0: I agree with that. I think he obviously tried it with Frank. He knew that he, the fans would be behind the appointment. And because of the transfer embargo, he looked at the situation. As you say, if I want a world-class manager, who's going to come in? I might give him loads of money, but who's going to come in knowing that there's a transfer embargo? He can't bring his own players in. And with Frank having Jody there, who knows the academy and brought in the likes of Fikayo Tomore to Derby, Mason Mount to Derby, gave him the opportunity at that time, hindsight being a wonderful thing, it worked and it showed that season with the style of football that Frank was implementing. And, you know, Frank, as I said in previous interviews that he got a lot of the methods he used at Derby and at Chelsea from Chelsea managers like Ancelotti, Mourinho and it is unfortunate that now, as you say, Roman's fingers are burnt and he chances are he won't go down that route again.
1: No. The worst thing that happened before, old Frank, was the embargo was lifted. Um, I, oh, I, yes. think the team, I think the team would have improved enormously had it not been. Because... Look at all the phenomenal—well, a quarter of a billion pounds worth of of old rubbish
0: before. I mean, I'm I'm gonna—I am going to hold my opinion on them until (laughs) until further down the line. But
1: well, you can tell I haven't.
0: No, certainly not. (laughs) One word that that springs to mind for me when you talk about Roman and Jose's relationship if you want to call that is stability now again we've always mentioned hindsight's a wonderful thing do you think these two in their respective roles as manager and chairman respectively will ever get stability because as you say and you've seen it hands down manager needs stability to have time to build a team that's going to last and be successful look what Guardiola's doing look at what Klopp's doing at Liverpool and I'm yeah, an owner needs to have know that they he's got that stability of keeping the club in a competitive environment whereby they're in the latter stages of Champions Leagues and Leagues. Based on what we've obviously looked at before with Chelsea and the amount of managers that they've gone through, do you think both of them pe- both of them individuals will ever get stability in football? Jose Mourinho and Roman Obrovic?
1: Well, uh, here's a way to answer that question. Uh, if you're an Arsenal fan, would you keep the current Arsenal manager?
0: If it was me, no. Really? I mean, mm-hmm. he seems to be the perfect
1: fit for Arsenal. Yeah, Played for Arsenal, Guardiola's assistant, You know, must have the right ideas being his assistant for so long, brought up in Spanish football, you know, the Barcelona, Real Madrid style of football. Perfect fit. Yet you say no. And the, the Arsenal were languishing in mid table. So all the Arsenal fans would say no. The ball can see the vibes. So they sack him. And who do they get, who do they get in?
0: They either change their ethos. But the reason why I say no is because I I looked saw highlights of Arsenal uh, on at the weekend. And you're, they're up against a Liverpool side that uh, their confidence has been shot at times this season and they've been defensively very, very frail. I don't think the players are playing under him.
1: Well, it, it, this thing about having lost the dressing room. I don't think managers have ever found the dressing room. I mean <laughs> lose the dressing room. I mean, you know where it is. You turn right, turn left and there's the dressing room. I mean, players are the same in every football club. You know the eleven you pick, they think you're wonderful. Um, the other eleven that you, you leave out, they think you're, you know. I like, yeah. you know, well, don't repeat it, but they, it's the same yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You know. Um, so if you're recruiting Arsenal, where'd you go to? You know, I mean, who, who next? Go back to George Graham, dig him out. Look, you know, you're not going to get stability anymore. People want, you know, it's a results-driven industry and Arsenal need success on the pitch and they're not getting it. Um, So Paul Bago, although might be the perfect fit, isn't going to be um, their next season, is he? We all know that.
0: When you talk about success, a lot of people this day and age see the Champions League as bigger than the their respective league. They say, you know, if you win the Champions League, that's the greatest competition you could win. And people have said Champions League is the greatest competition in world football. But in regards to a certain Jose Mourinho, who we're talking about today, he didn't win. He, he failed to win it at his time at Chelsea. He he didn't win it at Man United, and he's certainly not going to win it at Tottenham, with all due respect. But do you think that with his managerial record and that's. this may sound quite stupid on the the face of it, do you think with him only winning it twice has tarnished his legacy in a way? Can you look at Klopp? He's won it once, but there are many opportunities he could win it again, whether it's at Liverpool or even Bayern Munich. Pep Guardiola, there are many opportunities for him to win it for a third, fourth, maybe even fifth time. Do you think Jose deep down... When you look at his time at Chelsea because there were many opportunities he could have he had the opportunity when he you know lost in semifinals do you think his reputation has partly been a bit decreased in a way because of the lack of Champions League success there could be an argument for that but I don't
1: believe it is no mm. uh, I, I think um, you know his c v is, is, is among the best um, you know, uh, at, at his best, you'd want Mourinho to manage your team. Yeah. Um, but the question really is, you know, has that best peaked some time ago and really, you know, certainly in Man United, almost certainly now at Spurs, you're not seeing the best of Mourinho. Clearly at both clubs, he never had the best of players. Um, uh, which he needs, you know, you, you, you can't you say, work which shouldn't blame his tools, but the, the tools were a bit blunt for both those clubs at times. Um, I, I, I think he lifted Spurs at certain points and he lifted Man United at certain points and, and he looked like the old Mourinho and, and he certainly has that ability, so you can't say, you can't rule, rule it out, um, but we shall see. I, I think, if you're asking my opinion, I think this is his last chance at the top
0: end of European football. 2015. Now, it's only six years ago, but for me, it seems like a lifetime ago now. Chelsea won the Premier League and the League Cup under Jose. I was there when Chelsea lifted the Premier League and I thought this is going to be the first of many on his second spell. And I was there at the Players' Awards when it does mention... In one of your great books about Jose, that he did a wonderful presentation speech about his rivals at the after dinner speech, and he you know criticised Arsene Wenger, he took shots at um, Pep Guardiola and you know, people of that are called. But then that summer of 2015, site, excuse me, before that he signed a new contract, signs a new four-year contract, so it would expire in 2019. Do you believe looking back with that, the will started to come off yet again? Because as soon as he signs that contract, all doesn't seem quite well. He gets battered against Tottenham and then he has this massive, more defensive approach to his team's style of play. And it just sort of seems that as you say, he this second, third season syndrome kicks in, whereby the players are not reacting to what he's saying. Do you believe that, and it's not just talking about Jose, it's talking about other managers as well, when they sign these lengthy extended contracts, that there is a sort of a negative response from players? <sighs>
1: Well, I, I think players need to know that the manager isn't going at the end of the season because then they'll take a the piss. So um, I don't think that um, there was, ne- was a necessity for him to sign such a long contract, you know, particularly given, given his pedigree and CV and the clubs. He was never going to see it out. Although at the time, if you recall, he said, I'd like to be here for life. I really love it here. On my second stay, I don't want to leave again. Um, it, it had all the hallmarks of, you know, he was there to stay, as you yeah. said from your first reaction. Yeah. But, you know, as he's aged, he, he's become more grumpy, I think, um, and more frustrated when things don't go his way. And uh, he always was to a degree, but more so. And uh, that manifests itself in, in criticism of the team, the players. And that never goes down well because when they're left out, they all sort of
0: like they're happy to knife them in the back. You you've mentioned that. I want to actually do, or discuss it. I won't look into because it's a completely different club, but his time at Real Madrid. Now I've read some fantastic books about Jose Mourinho and his time at Real Madrid by some wonderful journalists. And for the listeners that are looking to maybe look into it, I will upload the images of the books, and I'll try and get the links for it because there's some fantastic reads there. Do you think, look, again, with Jose's time at Real Madrid, because he was there to try and stop Barcelona from being the dominant force in Spanish football, but all Jose received was politics from not just the board, but the players. So he, had, he was having falling out with Ramos one week, Casillas another week. Ronaldo at times as well he, he had fallings out with when you say you just sort of mentioned the he became more grumpy do you think that started from the fact that he didn't stay at Real Madrid for that long if you if, if you look at it he was only there three years do you think that that was the that was the peak where Jose when he left was he failed at Real Madrid.
1: I don't think that really bothered him, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, he, Jose is, is, is a Barcelona man, you know, he, he started a, with, with Bobby Robson there as his interpreter, uh, was always overlooked for that job, that is what really upset him more than anything else in, in, in his entire career. Uh, so, leaving Real Madrid, I don't think that bothered him too much, um, and all the politics and gouging other coaches eyes and all this sort of stuff <laughs> stuff that went on then um no i think i, I think in, in spain you have a, bit a different mentality the the players are uh, not just powerful influences within the dressing room and the clubs but they're outspoken ones via the media whereas they're not so here well, what they do is much of of the same but behind closed doors and but, but has the same effect anyway, but in, in Spain it is far more political and far more outspoken than they're, uh, and they 're allowed to flex their muscles publicly, so those kind of internal rifts are far more uh, open than, the, than they are here,
0: Speaking of rifts, there was an infamous rift that happened on the opening day of the season. Chelsea played Swansea City. In the first day of the 2015-2016 season, uh, a particular incident happened where Eden Hazard was injured and the medical staff went on the pitch, much to Jose's annoyance. Harry, I've, I'm assuming you might remember this particular incident with Eva mm-hmm. Carnero Um does figure in
1: my books very very substantially and- yes it
0: does yes which is why I've which is why I've brought it up um uh, this uh, escalated uh, massively yeah on the day and weeks months after the incident what were your thoughts on on this at this time because again you've said it 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 is in the books and Eva's had her say on it a few times. Obviously, she hasn't said the whole thing, you know, whether or not it's to do with contractually or legally, maybe. But Jose has obviously, as it mentioned it, but there was a massive to do in regards to player safety as well. You know, at the time when he both physios came onto pitch to treat Hazard and Jose had the ump. What were your thoughts on it? Because uh, everyone at the time was like, "What? What the hell's going on?"
1: Well, it, 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 it was simple, really. You know, it, that's what uh, a manager who wants to win at all costs will do. You know, it, it, it's it's gamesmanship, uh, and, and that happens all the time. Uh, but it just happens to be the way he treated uh, a woman, um, which was pretty crass. Uh, and you know, Abramovich has some very high-powered and influential figures. Um, running the club for him uh, who who felt that was uh, unacceptable Um, and it was unacceptable and it had enormous repercussions Um, but you can see why he did it and I don't think he did it because it was a woman he did it because it was not the way he would have managed that situation Um, it might not be sporting but um, I don't see Mourinho as a sporting character not, not a man who hides in a, in a washing basket to um, circumvent a ban. So, you know, that, that's the way he would have seen it, you know, quite simply from his point of view. But of course, as you mentioned from a, a health and safety point of view, um, doctors and um, physios sitting on the bench have a duty of care to, to those people on the, on the football field. That? And they were exercising that duty of care as they should have done from a medical point of view. So you had two uh, diverse uh, aspects of life, of one incident, and both were correct Uh, in in the purest sense of of a manager who who would uh, do anything to win a game, whether it was bordering on cheating or lack of gamesmanship, where on the other side you had medical experts who were doing what they thought was right for for the person who was injured. On the balance, when you look at it, Mourinho was in the wrong.
0: Yes. Do you think looking back, he looks at that and how his reaction was? Do you think he, if, if ever he was asked a question, do, do you regret it? Do you think he does?
1: Well, I would think after all the legal cases and the um, confidentiality clauses, I don't think he'd comment. That
0: <laughs> That's a good point. No, that is a good point. <laughs> That is a good point. That season um Chelsea just had a disastrous spell between August and December. Um I think there was the game against Leicester. We who we were became the eventual champions that year. I think we lost 3-0 or 3-1 afterwards Mourinho was speaking to Sky and he just, you know, put the put the players under the bus and just blamed them and pretty much criticized them. Jose was then sacked in December of 2015, despite the fact he's just signed a four year deal. When it came to Jose sacking, there was a sort of a period where there were certain media outlets, maybe not this country, but in America and Australia, were saying that Jose is going to stay, but that he should get rid of the entire team. So the players that don't want to play for him, the players that have allegedly gone to Roman Abramovich and said, "I do not want to, you know, work under this manager no more." Allegedly, there, there was no way that was going to work. Whereby Jose would have two hundred odd million pounds and say to 10, 11 players, "There's the door." It, it was either going to be players or manager. One of them had to go at that point. Ah, well, the power
1: lies with the players these days. It's as simple as that, doesn't lie with the manager. That, that was 40 years ago, not now, you know, the power lies with the agents, the manager, the players have the same, you know, they have such enormous value in the transfer market. Um, you couldn't just say, right, we're backing the manager, getting rid of the players and everyone goes, hey, look, you know, there's a boot sale of all these world-class players We'll pick them up for next to nothing. No, I mean, it's just, it's just
0: not sustainable. Michael Emanalo, uh, again, I've, I've got certain opinions of him. Other Chelsea fans have got opinions of him. Of course, he's, he's no longer at Chelsea, but he did an interview straight after and he mentioned that Jose had to go because they saw Chelsea Football Club was in trouble. Now, I forgive me for the listeners that may sort of noted their history a bit more than me, but I think Chelsea were 16th at that time when Jose was sacked. Did the dressing room problems, you know, whether he had fallings out with certain players, allegedly Branislav Ivanovic, allegedly Fabregas, allegedly Hazard, as you say, were there rumblings within the media that these Chelsea players were trying to get Jose out and, were speaking to the owner about we need Jose gone because this isn't working. As you said, you know, player power existed back then. It, is, it certainly exists now. Do you think that played a part?
1: Yeah, I think all these things play a part. But I think the, 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 the main thing you, you mentioned, I was 16th in the table. I, I think Roman Bremlitz looked at that. Way. Good grief. I mean, we could possibly be in a relegation battle. And that was just something he wasn't going to put up with. You know, um, that club is worth, what, three billion, four billion pounds? You know, and what would it be worth if it plummeted down out the Premier League? You know, good grief. It just wasn't, wasn't going to put up with it. Simple as that. Yeah. You know, the, the players were whispering in his ear quite a lot. And he's, 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 he's heard it all before. Um, but, you know, uh, they were not a team um, that should be placed 16th in the table. So it's quite clear they're underperforming. And after the change of manager, they, they swiftly moved up the table. Um, could Mourinho have done that? I'm sure he could have done it. yeah um, Would he have lasted? No, I don't think he would have done anyway. So um, uh, it was it was early enough in the season, just before Christmas. So, you know, hmm. back to the old revolving door. Let's see what happened next. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the, 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 whoever had come in, if they hadn't done it within three months, they'd have been revolved straight out. So um, you know, it, it's he, uh, a manager of Mourinho's quality should be taking the team down to 16th in the Premier League. shouldn't
0: shouldn't happen. Now the the book that I'm sort of referring to is called Jose Farewell to the King. It's again. Try and find it in sort of bookstores. It is out there. But the last sentence in that book, Harry, that I'd like to share with you, and I quote, the Roman Abramovich regime may have started the process of eliminating the Jose Mourinho legacy. However, the fans will never forget. Do you think that's still the case today? That fans will not forget Jose Mourinho's legacy, despite the fact that...
1: Well,
0: how long ago did I write that? That was... God, that was about four years ago.
1: Okay. Um, I don't think anything's changed in those four years. Uh, I, I, I think uh, I've always described him uh, as a modern-day Brian Clough, a uh, bit like Marmite. You loved him or you hate him. So whoever loved him
0: still does. Present. <laughs> despite <laughs> despite the fact he's at Tottenham, I've, you know, I've, I still hold Jose in high regard. And like I said, wherever he goes, he, he 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 could go to Arsenal and I'd still go, okay, well, he did this for us. So, but that was Jose. And I know that to you being a, a, an avid Spurs fan, whether or not he's going to be there this time next year remains to be seen. But one book that you did do, which I would like to discuss if I can for a few minutes is The Boss, which you can find on Amazon. You can find in all decent bookstores It is a very, very great book. If you want to learn more about Chelsea's history and about Chelsea managers, it's got some great extracts from the likes of Carlo Cudicini and Alan Hudson and Glenn Hoddle about certain Chelsea individuals. Honestly I don't get money from promoting this. It's just a case of I've re- I've read it. A I, couple times. The ride, then. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have honestly I have I have read it a couple of times. It's a great book, so honestly, please buy it. So Harry, I just want to sort of discuss a few extracts from the book and discuss more more of the personnel in the book. Um what was the interesting facts and stories that you found from writing this book about Chelsea's managers from the past?
1: Well, I think interviewing uh, their contemporaries, you know, finding the guys going way back to to talk about them because you can find a lot of things, you know, Google everything these days and find out, you can do a lot of research, but, you know, to actually um, uh, call up somebody who actually experienced it firsthand and for them to reflect on it, because a a lot of the time they didn't say too much. During their careers, for obvious reasons, you know the manager had a lot much more power then, and you didn't want to fall out with the manager then, um, because they basically ruled the club. They did the buying and selling, uh, not the owners. Um, so they they probably said not as much as they would do now. So it was that that was the best part of the research, listening to the stories of the time. Um, so each. Um, each manager, it was it was good to sort of like find someone who actually knew him, experienced it, was in their teams, and to talk about it through, and, and, and to get a perception through their eyes. It was
0: interesting. Was there any stories that you found from the book that you didn't know previously that, that you was quite shocked about? Well, uh,
1: it takes a lot to shock me, but, I mean, um, the <laughs> yeah. idea of the, uh, the process was to find stories that, Uh, hadn't been aired too much, if at all. So uh, I I hope people will find, uh, well, you you can answer it better than I, whether whether when you read those stories from those particular individuals who experienced it, whether you you discovered more than you knew before. Well, I certainly did, yes.
0: There you go. So that
1: that, um, is very satisfying because that was the object. So I I always find if um, I find it interesting, I'm hoping that the reader will. So if I'm I'm interviewing someone, I'm looking for something that I didn't know before.
0: Now with Chelsea's recent history, which we have discussed in, especially in the two recent interviews that we've done, do you think in in the future, we're talking about that Chelsea will ever have a manager that will last more than three years? Or is that now gone? That it will be a case of, you're either there for six, 12 or 18 or even 24 months because the last manager who had the three-year spell was Jose between 2004 and 2007. And that was a long... Well, in football, that does seem a long time ago. It does.
1: Um, the answer to that is uh, you never know because um, certainly not under the current owner, um, how long will he be the current owner? Well, um, if you've read some of my earlier books on Bremovich, um, uh, pundits and Chelsea fans were saying it was a bit of a wheeze. He had other interests. This would last a few months before he gets bored and goes off to motor racing or something like that. Um, but uh, from my information and what I knew about him um, and talking to people who knew him, Uh, That was never going to be the case, and that's proven not to be the case, as we can see now. Um, But things don't last forever. Um, And uh, I I think this is a family affair, and I think he he, he would like his children uh, to grow into uh, owning Chelsea. Uh, They may have a different, more modern approach, um, more Western European approach, more English approach, to looking for stability looking for a John Terry to to last for 10 years so if that ownership changed look out, there might be something completely different, there might be a John Terry arriving and signing a 10 year contract, you you know, who knows Um, so um, let's see but you know, things don't last forever Um, and Abramovich uh, his ownership of Chelsea has been an awful long time um, and it's not that he's born with it, but he, he might want
0: to give somebody else in his family a chance. Might promote his son to one of the senior members of the board, possibly. Um, Harry, one manager that <laughs> was quite unpopular with his appointment. And this was sort of quite back in 2012 was Rafael Benitez. Now, obviously it is described in the book do you think anyone was as unpopular as him when he was appointed at Chelsea based on what you've gone through with the book and certain play, certain managers that have, have been appointed?
1: Um, well, when you read the book, there's one or two that weren't very popular. But I, I, I think he comes out easily as number one.
0: <laughs> but well, really, funny yeah. enough, you say, I remember um, I was talking to a, a few Chelsea fans who was talking about Glenn Hoddle mm. and... I do actually want to sort of point out that there's this myth going on that Chelsea fans don't like Glenn Hoddle and you know, me coming from a sort of an, an era that didn't see him play, but appreciated what he was trying to change the style at Chelsea. And I sort of asked them, why do you, why, why do you hate him? And they all still see him as a Spurs guy. They, you know, they sort of yes, they appreciate the fact they took him to the FA Cup final in '94, but they said deep down he's a Spurs guy. We don't like him, you know. We, the one sort of thing I heard was he doesn't know his football, which I think's a load of bull, to be honest. Um, it's it's quite bizarre. But when I look at like you know the unpopular manager, and when you look at maybe you know, sorry at the time he came in, not many people have heard of him, and then it was midway through the season, sorry just. Completely and utterly made some interesting decisions, but when I look back to Benitez's time, obviously Di Matteo got sacked because of they were worried about Champions League qualification and they felt that he wasn't strong enough to lead the team forward. You couldn't have got any more unpopular than Mister Rafael Benitez.
1: No. Um, but, you know, Benitez was hugely experienced, um, it, it made an awful lot of sense, uh, and Abramovich isn't shy of making unpopular decisions, but, you know, the most bizarre thing is about Glenn Hoddle, I mean, um, other than Abramovich himself, he revolutionised Chelsea, I mean, you know, um, uh, bringing in um, Petrescu, um, Mark Hughes, Rudgule, um completely transformed that football club, and you know, then um, tells me many stories about when he first arrived, took over there, he couldn't believe it, you know, the training facilities, you know, he, he said, I, I'd rather take the team to Hackney Marshes, you know, and, and he, he said, well, where, where's my office? Where do I do the paperwork and conduct the transfer of business? And they they pointed to a press button B and press button A on phone box on the wall. Yeah. And he said, how oh, can I do that? And everyone going by getting their cup of cocoa, you know. And, um, it was a quite bizarre transformation. Um, bizarre in the sense that people can't see the fact that he, he was the catalyst of, of, of what changed perception of Chelsea, what probably would have um, attracted Abramovich to the club in the first place. To you know, um, I mean, didn't you not go well when you saw a former World Footballer of the Year turn up and able to play sweeper, centre half, you know, midfield? Wing center forward, not in his prime. All his knees had gone by then, but you know, still the best player at that point ever to have played in the Premier League. So um, he was certainly not pitched up if Glenn Hoddle wasn't the manager. That's right. So you know, um, quite bizarre, I think, if people can't see that.
0: I've even heard it down when I've when I've been to games and you know Glenn Hoddle's there on pitch side, whether it's we've. BT as a pundit, and they're like, you know, we don't like Glenn Hoddle. I'm like, why? This is a guy who, all right, was a Spurs guy. But Even though in- you don't like Mourinho, you know, you like Mourinho,
1: but not, not the whole Chelsea contingent out there like him. Exactly. Say, you know, it, It's it's a, it's a personal choice. Exactly. You know, it- uh, I can see what Glenn Hoddle did at Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure... The majority of
0: Chelsea fans can see the same thing as well. One thing that I did want to sort of ask with regards to Glenn Hoddle, when he came in, he wasn't just a manager, he was also registered as a player. And it was a, funny enough, I was going through the book and it was talking about Glenn Hoddle, Rude Hullit was a player manager, Gianluca Viale was a player manager. I can't imagine this day and age, especially in the Premier League, we would ever get a return of player-manager, no. will we? No, no,
1: no. I think that that was the end of it. Really.
0: Now with have women's football is on the rise. It does seem with this new deal, broadcasting deal with the you know, the women's Premier League. Do you think we will ever see a female in charge of a Premier League club or even you know lower league club? Based again, based on obviously with this book. Do you believe there'll be a sort of a caption where you'll have to leave for maybe Emma Hayes possibly to come in as a Chelsea manager in the future?
1: Well, I mean, will we see um, the first black chairman of the Football Association? If we do, I'm sure we see a woman managing a football club in the Premier League. Uh, if you're asking my opinion, I don't see either happening. You know, there's enormous amount of prejudices out there um, and have been for some time, they still exist. And I can't see them
0: changing in the future. Not just with the boss as well, but I've also I was also reading the Antonio Conte book uh, that you also did a few years ago, and uh, I was also just wanted to sort of ask you this, Harry, if I can. Um, Could you just sort of explain the process in structure in that particular book? Um, It details obviously a club season from start to finish, and it goes through each team's each team's results and what led up to the game and everything else how do because you've done it before with you know rude holt's book and Luca Viali's book how do you sort of get that structure in place and you have all the information there how long does that sort of process take for you to get that in a book
1: well funny enough i, I always find if it's going to be a good read for the reader which is the object of it then you've got to make things easy to follow. So what I what I tend to do with these diaries is, is to make the manager the central character but only if the manager is charismatic enough um, and interesting enough. So those guys for me um, were interesting, were charismatic and I make them the central character. So it's more or less what they get up to 24-7. Mm. So uh, where do they go in their leisure time? I like to bring that into the book. Not just a book about it's a book about them, what their personal lives are like, you know, what's their attitude to life, what's their politics. I like to uh, integrate all their lifestyle and their, their interesting, you know, like would like his golf, didn't they? and uh, yes. so Luke of the Ali, and uh, um, but how did that um, impact on their lives? And it did to a great extent. Certainly with 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 Ruud. it became. Um, one of the deciding factors in in in, his, in the decision to sack him, funnily enough, how bizarre could that be? But it did. So I think making them a central character, um, the whole thing gravitated around these managers because they were so powerful and influential. So their relationship with the owner and, and that constant battle for supremacy, because if they're, they're a stronger manager, and there's some weak managers around and, and uh, compliant managers we? they're compliant they see themselves as a coach and if, if the, the owner gives them a player fine by me i'll coach you you know I'll, I'll make it work but these these were different type of characters that's why i did those books and, and why there are few and far between those books you want to do now
0: just a few more questions before i do eventually let you go and enjoy The sunshine while it lasts here on a Monday afternoon Out of all the Chelsea books you've done that have been published. What sort of books did you perhaps look to do that didn't come about or what Chelsea books that in fact were published that was indeed not going to happen?
1: Uh, well, I think the only one I can recall that um, was, was slightly frustrating when, when it was announced, or I knew before anyway. But when it was, um, when Glenn was was uh, obviously acquired, we'd got it as a, a player uh, for Chelsea. Um, maybe not so much in this country. Maybe quite a few people who do follow European football, world football, would have known Rud, but not as well as I did because I'd been. To San Siro and see him play for uh, Milan, seen him after the matches giving interviews, and seen him in the Dutch camp and the influence he had there, seen him walk out of a World Cup Dutch squad, actually being there and listening to him um, and, and seeing the, com- the command he had and the presence he had. Um, I felt he was going to have such an enormous influence, not only on Chelsea but on English football. But I went. To do my first book on him which was a, which was a biography of his entire life and took it to all the major publishers and they all rejected it all bar one eventually published it it was very frustrating to get to the end of the process and only had one publisher interested but one publisher I knew I just said to him look I can't understand why there's such a reluctance to publish this book and he said well books on black people don't sell and I found that the most amazing statement to have made. Of course, it was you know, almost a generation ago, yeah. um, and, and those attitudes have changed a lot. Um, I say changed a lot, but not as much as they could. Yeah. But um, it was quite I eye-opener I when that was suggested to me. Of course, <clears throat> the biography was an enormous seller, uh, <clears throat> and I told her at the time that... Um, as a consequence of that, it wouldn't be long before someone would want would it. spend spend an awful lot of money writing his life story, you know, bio, autobiography. And, of course, that happened. And um, he, he, and I wrote that for him as well. So uh, that was very interesting. <laughs> so that is the only story I can tell you about that.
0: Obviously, you've, you know, you've had stories of Rude Hullet, you know, and you've, you've spoken to Rude a, a lot over, over the years. Was there any sort of Chelsea player or manager that was quite tricky to get stories from for your books that you've done over the years? Was there anybody that, you know, just didn't want to commute with yourself in regards to any information? Um,
1: no, not really. I mean, I think, um, uh, no, I wouldn't say that but I mean you know it, it's, it's, a, it's a different style of book you know as I was saying you know, I do these diaries using the managers that I particularly liked as a, a central character for the book um, but you know not really no I, I wouldn't say that.
0: Harry you've, you've mentioned you've done the boss books on Chelsea and you've done the boss on a few other clubs you've also got another book that you're doing could you just ex- sort of explain to myself and the listeners this new book that you're looking to get out this year
1: yeah i'm, I'm doing one uh, on give racism a red card it's a history of racism in this country that's out in uh, next week in fact it's available pre-order now on amazon that's the uh, advert for the day um and um, there's one or two more coming but i've got a dog biting my feet at the moment <laughs>
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Harris, I, I will let you go, but I just want to say thank you very much for your time that you've, that you've spent on the Blue Day podcast discussing your various books and discussing Chelsea stories, whether it's to do with Ken Bates, Jose Mourinho, Glenn Hoddle. I've absolutely had a fantastic time in listening to these stories and I, again, would like to appreciate your time and thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Yes, well, myself and Dolly enjoyed being on that for
0: more my pleasure. Fantastic.
1: Thank you very much. Take care.
0: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Podcast Network.